This is Free Talk Live. It is the Tuesday edition, and we're kicking off hour number one. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. And it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Guard. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, totally free, so do enjoy those. They're on us at freetalklive.com. We're starting things out here with... A story about the number one cash crop in the United States. Uh, Gentlemen, what do you think it is? Well, you know, I might hasten a guess because uh, I know that the number one cash crop in other countries has been marijuana. And I do believe it might be the mighty M. Yeah, that would be the the correct answer. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Weeding through, according to ABC News, weeding through the value of the nation's cash crops, a study released... I love the puns that they use in, in articles about <laughs> I think pot. they're so clever. Don't right. You? A study released today states that marijuana is the United States' most valuable crop and promotes the drug's legalization and taxation. Drug enforcement officials say the equation's not that simple. The report, Marijuana Production in the United States, by marijuana policy researcher John Getman, concludes that despite massive eradication efforts at the hands of the federal government, quote, marijuana has become a pervasive and ineradicable part of the national economy. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he's absolutely right. It's not going anywhere anytime soon, and it doesn't matter how much money the, uh, the feds throw at it. It doesn't matter how many new cops they hire to go out and bust people. It's not going anywhere because it's illegal and it's popular, and so therefore there's a lot of money to be made. In the report, Getman, a marijuana reform activist and leader of the Coalition for Rescheduling Cannabis, champions a system of legal regulation, contrasting government figures for traditional crops like corn and wheat against the study's projections for marijuana production. The the report cites marijuana as the top cash crop in 12 of the 50 states and amongst the top three cash crops in 30 of the 50 states. The study estimates that marijuana production at a value of $35.8 billion exceeds the combined value of corn and wheat to activists. That's just tremendous. To activists for marijuana legalization, the study confirms a position they've held for years and uses government statistics to support their claim. The fact that marijuana is America's number one cash crop after more than three decades of governmental eradication efforts is the clearest illustration that our present marijuana laws are a complete failure, according to Rob Campia, executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project. I mean, it's certainly a clear illustration, sure. um, and it's also alongside of other very clear illustrations that we've seen over the years with uh, statistics coming out year after year that over 750,000, I think it was last year, it was 780,000 people, uh, people, friends and family members, yeah. American people, were arrested for mostly marijuana possession. Not doing any harm to anyone else just participating in something that was not approved by the majority, or at least the politicians. And, you know, that's funny that that cash crop is so big because they don't even have a lobbying group like ADM does in Washington, (laughs) D.C. for corn. No, they sure don't. And they're not even including industrial-grade hemp, which also has a lot of great uses, rope, clothing. Uh, Even I I purchase right at the health food store. I get the hemp seeds from Canada because you can grow them in Canada, the Mm non-THC smokable Hemp, yeah, and the seeds are extremely nutritious, and I eat them sometimes. Oh wow, that's interesting. Well, you know that it's it's amazing the things that they try try to outlaw and ban, and we know that marijuana makes so much money for so many people. I'm surprised the government wouldn't try to dive on top of it 
and capitalize on it by taxing it and regulating it rather than spending tons and tons of money. And I'm not even in favor of taxing and regulating, but you Nor would think that those pinheads would realize, you know, we're shooting money down a tube. We are religiously holding on to something which we cannot control. It is the war on drugs. Sure. Well, originally, you know, originally it was the war on hemp because the timber farmers out west originally had it outlawed through their political connections because it was competition for their their wood and their and their paper. I didn't right? know it the, that. It was the textile industry. It really? was in the uh, 1930s when they did that. Wow, yes. I didn't know that at all. That's really interesting. Yeah, right. so that, what they did was they essentially uh the textile manufacturer, I think it was wasn't it DuPont that was involved in it? Maybe Hearst, uh, Randolph Hearst. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they, these uh big textile manufacturers uh were threatened by marijuana and hemp, and so what they did was they sort of uh they attacked its cousin that is, you know, marijuana, the smokable version, as, right. as Wayne was talking about, and they demonized it, and they bastardized it, and they and scared people about it. And it all got lumped into one, one thing. And exactly. Yes. Wow. And then they got a law passed against it. You and know, here we are today. They even had a propaganda film called Reefer Madness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing, because uh, I know it's a bit tangential, but, you know, the, the problems we have with immigration all stem from an illegitimate 1875 Supreme Court ruling over uh, the law that was passed in 1872 to stop Asian immigrants from coming in and working for less out in the mines and on the railroads. And that you see how all these things are due to political pressures from certain interest groups that try to use Congress to get what they want. The force of government stopping other people. Incredible. Now, the Marijuana Policy Project is a group in Washington, D.C. that uh, focuses on removing criminal penalties for marijuana use. But they also are an organization that advocates a regulation scheme instead. And you were saying, Gardner, Mm. well, why is it that these bureaucrats haven't really pushed for regulating this and taxing it? And I think that the reason is because the bureaucrats, I guess the bureaucrats, I don't know. Would it be the alcohol uh, regulators that would sort of t- pick up the ball on this one? Maybe it's just yeah, it would that be alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Probably. Right. I don't know. Maybe I... it's just that they aren't motivated because they don't really feel like their budgets would increase that much. I'm not sure. But really, what you're fighting against, even if there are bureaucrats, the that, budget for that law enforcement, it. it's exactly. the law enforcement lobby. They, so that's it. You're, you're gonna right. you're gonna be pitting two different uh, different bureaucracies against one another, and right. we all know how much government bureaucrats in different offices don't get along. Yeah. They, they don't like one another, which is a good thing for us. It's a good thing for us in the liberty movement because they just they have little tissy fights between but one another. But when they work together, it's very hard to stop them, so especially when you have politicians working with law enforcement people. The, the politicians can get the approval of the law enforcement people, and that looks good in the eyes of the voters. The law enforcement people can get special favors from the politicians, so keep those laws enacted sure. so we can keep going out there and well, making plus, all our extra cash on the drug bust. Plus, you've got the uh, the DEA, which I mean is an organization specific devoted to the war on drugs, and they'd yeah. be all out of jobs. They don't yeah. have to get other uh, other jobs if the war on drugs was ended. Right on. And the scary part is the militarization of the police now. They're getting more and more federal training. Yeah. And eventually you can see this leading towards the elimination of local police forces and going eventually with a national police force. Mm. But mm. I think that law, law enforcement may be uh, not in favor of, of hemp and marijuana legalization also because... They, there's a lot of incentives for them to bust people and, and confiscate their property and their cash and sure. all that stuff, Absolutely. too. Right. And, you they, know, it's fascinating, just the prestige. Like, you talk about going from a local to a national uh, police drug agency enforcement. We had this bust out on the seacoast on OxyContin back in the late October. They got 12 pounds of OxyContin here in New Hampshire. The most wait, wait, 12 ever pounds of meth, you mean? I mean meth, yeah, meth, sorry, meth, uh, methamphetamine. And uh, they got 12 pounds of it. And... Um, 
they were working, federal authorities were looking, working with local authorities. It adds to the prestige of all these guys. They can say, oh, yeah, you know, we made this big bust. Just the term federal bust seems to have so much weight to it. Sure. Know? And so they get the prestige. They get the big budgets. Yeah. They get the asset forfeiture, which is huge money for them, because all they have to do with asset forfeiture is say, Gardner, we think you're a drug dealer. Give me your car and your house. And uh, thanks. Yeah. And that's it. If you want to get your car and your house back, then you have to go to court and prove that, no, you're not a drug dealer, and no, your car and house were not involved in drug transactions. You have to prove to them that you're innocent Yeah. to get your stuff back. And, of course, I don't know. I don't know about you, Gardner, but I can't really afford to hire a lawyer just right off the bat uh, to go after my stuff. So, I mean, you're talking about incurring extra costs just so you can have a chance at getting them to give you your you stuff and back. And sometimes they don't even bring the case to trial, and they still don't give you all your stuff back. It happens all the time. So yep. many municipalities that Oh, they don't even have to charge you with a crime. As I think it was you that were mentioning it before, either you or, or Wayne yesterday, that they actually charge the object with the crime. They'll charge, for instance, if you, um, if you get pulled over and you've got, let's say you've got your life savings, you pulled it out of the bank and you're taking it across town to another bank or driving across the country with yeah. it or something like that. You've yeah. got $30,000 in your trunk in a lockbox. Oh, well, they bust open the lockbox. They find $30,000 in cash. They take it. No charges against you oh. because they didn't find any drugs, but they charge the cash with the crime. Being associated to your drug profits. But the right. cash really isn't your property, per se, because they're just notes, and they don't really belong to you. Okay. Of course, that's the way they look at it, right? Right. right. Yeah. Well, that's what they do. They charge the cash, and of course, the cash can't hire a lawyer, so the cash just uh, gets railroaded and convicted, and then they keep the cash. You're laughing, but that's exactly what goes on in this crazy war on drugs that we have. 800-259-9231. So a little bit more about marijuana, the number one cash crop in the United States. Plus, some police officers are on our side on this one, and they realize that we're going to really cut crime down if we legalize drugs. We'll tell you about it coming up. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is 1-800-259-9231. And it is the Packet 8 toll-free line. Mark is out for the night, still down in uh, Florida. Actually, he should be getting on a a plane as we speak. So hopefully he'll be back in action with us uh, as of tomorrow night. But tonight, it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Garden. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got the bulletin board system there with over 140,000 posts, over 1,300 people interacting. Lots of fun stuff to discuss and serious issues as well. You'll find it all for free. At bbs.freetalklive.com, that is bbs.freetalklive.com. And get registered now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. February 23rd through the 25th, meet libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. freestateproject.org slash libertyforum for more information and to get registered. freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Talking about the Marijuana Policy Project, getting some national coverage for their uh, for a report that one of their people, I guess, uh, put out essentially looking at government figures and, for traditional crops like corn and wheat and then comparing those versus estimates for the production of marijuana in the United States and finding out that not only is marijuana the number one cash crop in the entire United States, but it's also bigger than uh, wheat and corn combined. That's uh, $23.3 billion for corn and $7.5 billion for wheat, compared to $35.8 billion uh, for the marijuana production industry. 
Far out, I mean, it's man. just tremendous uh, amount you know, of money involved there. One wonders how that would be affected if it were legal. Would it drop? Yeah, and, and of course, uh, looking at that, what is the profit margin? And it's it's so difficult to calculate any of those things. It's amazing that those companies that can operate above board, so-called, uh, they can handle everything, no problem. All the other people shipping stuff around, if you're shipping that in big quantities, you're incurring some danger. Oh, yeah, you know, And it's a risky venture. And and we, we ought to mention that while we were off the air, we were talking about it, how oftentimes libertarians are seen as, oh, they're those radicals who are out there. They just want to be able to smoke pot and so on. They want all these things legalized that are stupid and reckless or whatever. And and ours is based on a principle of allowing our neighbor the maximum freedom to do what he wants, whether it be smoking pot or eating a fatty food, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't care what you want to put in your body. It's your body. It's your business. Do you own you or don't you? But just don't ask me to pay for your medical bills. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the problems. You know, uh, you look at that situation down in New York, banning, banning of trans fats. They mm-hmm. have the same thing going on in Massachusetts, and that's the way they sucker you in. They apply a layer of socialism by saying, well, we're going to regulate insurance companies to force them to have to accept people with pre-existing conditions or pay for this type of a procedure or do this, do that, or have rates that don't go above this because it's not fair. And we, the government, can tell people how to run their business in this case because, of course, health care is a right. And then they get us all under this wet blanket of socialism, and then they pile more rocks on top of it saying, well, since we all pay, Mm -hmm. therefore we can regulate. You can't smoke. You can't drink. You can't eat this trans You have to exercise. You've got to exercise. In in England, they're going to be – they're proposing stapling the stomachs of kids. Because (laughs) they want to stop them from being obese. That's crazy. It's insane. There's a guy in Scotland – who has proposed that they put tags on clothing for plus-size clothing. And, and it's all because of this socialist mentality. Exactly. And, and you know, the, and you know says, what happens? Yeah. You know what happens when you pile a bunch of rocks on a bunch of people? They can't breathe. <laughs> That's a great, a great way to look at it. That's a really good way to look you at know, it. You know, personally, I, don't, uh, I, I avoid trans fats. Yeah. But if you want to eat them, that's your business. Right. None of my business. I don't smoke marijuana, but I respect one's right to smoke it if, uh, if they're not hurting me. Absolutely. You know, it's amazing to think about it, too, you guys, because when you think about allowing somebody in maximum freedom and then you think about someone else who does not want to do that because they're afraid that someone cannot take care of himself or herself, Mm -hmm. and therefore society shows that it cares by imposing regulations on everybody else to make them get involved. Exactly. When you look at that, you say to yourself, okay, well, um, if you think I'm being reckless by giving my kids some French fries... If you think I'm being reckless by allowing my child to drink some wine or have a burger or something like that, and you want to have control, then how much control are you going to take? And does that mean that I have no responsibility over my kids, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, part of the problem we've seen with Mm -hmm. so many many families. People complain about welfare and so on. If we are our brother's keeper legally, does that mean that we should enjoy being kept? stupid. It's ridiculous. Where does it stop, too? Exactly. I mean, if you're going to allow them to have control, at what point uh, at what point does it come to an end? It yeah. won't. Yeah. They'll continue piling on more rocks. They'll continue piling on more regulations until every last breath of freedom that you ever took is completely beaten out of you 
Yeah. And all you are, uh, all that remains is a is a is a serf and a slave. Ian, yeah. that information you got that was uh, was that an ABC story you got about the marijuana being a cash crop? Yeah, ABC uh, ABCnews.com. And they were citing the uh, the marijuana, marijuana policy, policy project. project. In fact, uh, okay. Rob Campia, the executive director there, whose comments were included in the study's press release, adds, "quote Our nation's laws guarantee that 100 percent of the proceeds from marijuana sales go to unregulated criminals." rather than to legitimate businesses that pay taxes to support the uh, government infrastructure. Mm. A 2005 analysis by Harvard visiting professor so-and-so estimated that if the United States legalized marijuana, the country would save $7.7 billion in law enforcement costs and would generate as much as, could generate as much as $6.2 billion annually if marijuana were taxed like alcohol or tobacco is. So... $7.7 $7.7 billion saved from law enforcement. If we tax it, then we, uh, the government pulls in $6.2 billion. Now, again, we're not advocates for taxing and regulating marijuana. I think that we should just end the prohibition and yeah. allow businesses and individuals to pick up the ball and run with it. Yeah. That, it, that it. The distribution would completely change. It would shift from being a black market to a legitimate market, and you'd see it popping up in convenience stores and other places like that and uh, hemp shops and, and that sort of thing. And, and what's wrong with that? You'd I mean, think, what is so wrong with you it? You would think that the federal regulators would have learned their lesson with prohibition in the, in the 20th century. And, you know, in addition to that, not only is there the lesson of freedom, there's the lesson of constitutionalism here, which I... I think that uh, it's important to note, although it might not go as far as I would like to have it in in, in an abstract sense, um, the Constitution doesn't give the federal government the power to regulate whether or not you can buy or not buy or sell or imbibe marijuana. It's ridiculous. Well, the Constitution doesn't, doesn't give them the power to do virtually everything exactly. that they do. But they do it anyways yeah. because they've got the guns and yeah. they aren't afraid to use them. That's what gives at, them the power and our they, consent. At least when they went forward with prohibition, these people had the honesty if they were going to do something stupid, at least they did it constitutionally by they creating the, amendment. the Constitution, and then they revoked the amendment. And apparently, None of these they, guys wants to wants to do that. And you're right; they didn't learn their lesson from prohibition because you would think that uh, I don't think. First of all, the regulators didn't learn their lesson, and apparently, the people fell asleep at the wheel because when prohibition ended, the prohibition of alcohol, that is, it ended for at least in one reason. For one reason, because uh, juries continued to nullify. Yeah. The charges. So their friends and their fr- family members, the local guy running the speakeasy, would get picked up, charged with alcohol-related crimes. Take them. Uh, they'd take him to court, where the jury would say, "Forget this. We want to drink too. Uh, we're throwing this out." Yeah. And so they kept throwing out case after case, and eventually the government just threw up their hands and said, "All right, fine. We'll make it legal again." But no, apparently nobody walked away from that whole experience actually learning anything at all about prohibition because. Uh, sometimes we'll talk about it, and we talk about it often enough on this show, and we'll get some prohibitionist on the phone, and it's like talking to a brick wall. It's like they just don't understand the parallels, the direct, very clear parallels between what happened in the 1920s and what's going on right now. More's on the way. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. That is the packet eight. 
toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got the Shrine of Female listeners with dozens of ladies from around the world who have sent us their validated photo to prove that they listen to the show. See what I mean by going to shrine.freetalklive.com. That is shrine.freetalklive.com. And does your company have a bunch of unpaid receivables just sitting out there? Try SACL CAI. They do collections in a whole new way. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. They record every customer interaction so you can check their work. Let SACL CAI handle any or all of your accounts receivable needs. See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. And our number is 800-259-9231. Talking about one of my pet issues, the war on drugs. And the reason is because there's been a study done that's come out that uh, is essentially outing marijuana as the number one cash crop in the entire United States. Now, I had heard that it was number one in Kentucky and number one in you know specific mm. states, uh, but actually it's overall bigger than wheat and corn combined. It's just tremendous, over $35 billion. Actually, I think it was 32, 30, yeah, $35.8 billion. Now, the Marijuana Policy Project saying that, look, why don't we just make this drug legal and maybe tax it? Now, of course, I don't go to that extreme because it seems to me like asking for uh, marijuana to be legalized and then creating a whole other bureaucracy to uh, to regulate and tax it is just like transferring government power from one agency to another. Yeah. Well, let's just cut the size of government, okay? Marijuana, if you want to if you've got a local sales tax in the state that you're in, well then you're going to make money off of it, right? Like yeah. if yeah. like down in Florida there's a 6% sales tax and or 5% I think state sales tax and and so there's going to be money coming in off of it that way. We don't need extra taxes laden on to it. No, and and you know it's interesting, Ian. The immediate thing that I think of as you're mentioning that study is that the detractors are going to say, well, look where it comes from. It comes from a pro-legalization organization. Obviously, you know, they're going to attack the the messenger, not the message. They're not going to look at the details and see how the thing was set up, see where the study came from, where the numbers came from, or anything like that. And they're certainly not going to question the validity of laws that stop individuals from taking something burning and putting it in their lungs. Right. They, well, they yeah, they definitely dodge that. In fact, I've actually got the response from the law enforcers. Here. Oh, beautiful. So here's what they have to say from the ABC News article. Uh, aside from the health debate over legalizing marijuana, Garrison Courtney, spokesperson for the Drug Enforcement Agency, says groups that advocate its taxation sometimes paint too rosy a picture. He says, quote, it's still a drug. Just because it's a good cash crop doesn't mean you should legalize and tax it. Really? Well, why not? <laughs> he doesn't give you any reasons for that. He's just saying, it's a drug. Well, there's lots of drugs. Go to Walmart. Uh, look in the pharmacy section. There's drugs all over the shelves you know, there, and they can all that, be abused. I think I saw that article later. Doesn't he say, fire bad? <laughs> he does do that, doesn't he? <laughs> Smells it's, like FUD to me. It's still a drug, he says. It's not these cute mom-and-pop bong shops anymore. It's violent drug trafficking groups that are doing all these grows. <laughs> Wait, the last time I checked, the head shops weren't actually growing marijuana in the back. I don't why, even know what he's talking even, about. Even if they are violent violent groups, why would they be violent groups? Where would, You know, I didn't see that, uh, you know... 
Pharmaca and Johnson and Johnson were forming gangs and having slasher fights and shootouts on the streets of South Central. What about you know? uh, what about Budweiser? Yeah. All what about other, yeah Budweiser? The um, tobacco companies. R.J. Abso- Reynolds. Absolutely. That they're not fighting each other and trying to kill each other. They're trying to compete for the customer. Local marijuana growers, he says, are the tentacles of the international drug trafficking organizations that bring weapons, violence, and a slew of other drugs into the market. He says, you can't tax Mexican drug trafficking groups. That's a, that's the side a lot of people don't focus on. Is this guy as dumb as he appears to be? What's his last name? Is it Courtney? Courtney. Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> what is he talking? This I mean, these people live in a in a world I just don't understand. No. When no. we're talking about legalization, we're talking about taking it out of the hands of the violent people. We're talking about taking it out of the hands of the drug traffickers. If you legalize or decriminalize marijuana, then the profit margin, which is something like 3,000%, the profit margin disappears. Yeah. I mean, go to your, go to your local uh, tobacco shop and look at the... Uh, you, you can look at a price of a pack of cigarettes, and that's cheap enough in comparison to marijuana. But just look at the uh, the unrolled tobacco, the, like the bag of tobacco that you can buy. I went in there one time just to see what what the, those things cost. You can get like a pound of tobacco for twelve bucks. I mean, you can roll enough cigarettes to smoke for uh, six months yeah. on that amount of tobacco, yeah. and a pound of marijuana is going to run you anywhere from uh, twelve hundred dollars to you know five thousand dollars for the really good uh really really good you know guys i read a paper a while back about the timber industry in this country how there's some very very wealthy people who own timber farms Mm -hmm. and these timber farms are massively profitable especially during this recent real estate boom yeah and they've got trees now where they can they can pretty much um turn them over in 20 years it used to be 30 years Mm -hmm. but they own massive tracts of land and and the amount of profit you can make from uh the timber is amazing and if you legalize marijuana to smoke, you also have to legalize hemp. That's true. Yeah. And that's a major competitor to timber. Yeah, why don't you tell me, you were telling us a little bit about that, about the history of the, uh, of the, of the uh, prohibition of hemp. And, and you know, I, I was unaware of that. And I'm fascinated by this, by uh, um, uh, Hearst, the newspapers that he owned, all the, all the wood areas that he had, and how he was in favor of getting rid of industrial hemp. Because it competed. Yes, and there was also a propaganda film back there called uh, Reefer Madness. Right. That was more than one. That was just right. the yes. most well-known. That was the well-known one, but there were others. And they were propaganda films. It would be really interesting to see who paid for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because yeah. It, whenever someone cites a study on anything, the first a- the question I always ask is who's funded the study. Great question. Because yeah. that's where, where you have to follow the money there and, and, and read a bunch of studies and just try to figure out the truth by, by who funded it. You know, there's a great. You ask about uh, more details on the yeah. history of the the war on drugs, right? And I actually stumbled across something. It was probably about two or three years ago, and I think it's. St- I'm sure it's still out there. It's. It was called uh, a drug war Christmas Carol, and it, it, there's a website that is dedicated to it. It's it's available free online, or you can order it in like comic book form. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a, a web comic book, mm-hmm. and what it is is it's a you know a graphical comic style retelling. Of the history of the war on drugs, not just marijuana. It certainly um, hits heavy on marijuana, but the entire war on drugs. Wow! And it goes back all the way to you know before 1910 when you could, for instance, send your 12-year-old down to the general store to buy a bottle full of heroin for right. yourself you if get you want morphine. To. No problem. Right. Cocaine, and, Coca-Cola. And, 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and the the store owner wouldn't even bat an eye at a ten year old coming in to buy a bottle full of cocaine. Wouldn't have been a big deal back then. But nowadays, I think we also have to ask ourselves: Why do people want to do crystal meth? Why do they want to do heroin or cocaine? I wouldn't want to do those things. Yeah. However, as we become more of a socialist country, we're becoming more dehumanized and more disempowered by by that system of government and 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 our, all the societal pressures that go with it. Mm. Yeah, that's on the an website. Point. And also, I think uh, in addition to that, in a society that basically allows you to goof off and loaf around, um, hey, why not take more of your time and waste more of your time at making your mind a little screwed up and, and distracting yourself? You yes, know? In, in a socialistic system, it requires an intricate balance of the producers, the looters, and the loafers. Yeah. And, the, and in a free market society, those things take care of themselves. Right. In a socialistic system, they have to constantly monitor and manage that and, and micromanage it, and they can never really get it right because yeah. the market is a, is a better barometer and yeah. a better regulator. They of, can't even come close to getting right. it right. right. In right. fact, I found the website. It's adrugwarcarol.com. That's adrugwarcarol.com. Great uh, little comic book because what they do is they take the drug czar, the United States drug czar, and it's set up like a Christmas carol where yeah. you've got the ghosts of uh, the drug war past and the drug war present and the yeah. drug war future, and they all come to him in, in the nighttime and they, you know, they take him back and they show him the history because he doesn't know. These fools that are running the, the government today, this, this idiot that's saying that, well, you can't tax a Mexican drug trafficking group. <laughs> how, much, uh, how much do you think this guy knows about prohibition? How much does he know about history? I mean, he doesn't even understand what legalization is about. He doesn't even get the point of what we're talking about. However, there's a lot of people who read that article that would believe him because they don't know either. Exactly. Because he's, he's, a, he's an authority figure, a perceived authority figure, and, and the herd tends to take what they say or they imply as fact You're right about investigation. That. But on the other hand, people also do listen to people with microphones fairly, uh, fairly well, so we can combat authority figures like him. We're you got it, because we're authority figures, too. You take control <laughs> of the airwaves. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. If you say so. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy all the features on the site. They are completely free. Though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff at Amazon. Amazon, you know them. They're the world's largest Internet retailer, 35 categories of products. Everything from their book selection, which is, of course, what they became known for, to uh, DVDs, office products, sporting goods, electronics, you name it, they probably sell it at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Now, the reason I'm giving you that address to go to is because if you enter their site through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, then FreeTalkLive gets a percentage of virtually anything that you buy, whether it be a new new item, used item, gift certificate, which is a great idea. And, of course, I mean, we're looking at, what, six days now until uh, Christmas. Mm. Obviously, a lot of people, uh, the the biggest shopping day of the year is coming up this weekend the saturday before christmas always the uh, the busiest shopping day of the year but stay home forget about all that bustling around and uh, traffic jams and crammed parking lots and uh, upset people in the stores why bother with all that just go to amazon.freetalklive.com get all your shopping done now it's too late at this point to get free super saver shipping by christmas of course you could still get expedited shipping as well which obviously is not going to be free or you can get an Amazon gift certificate. 
Now, you can get the Amazon gift card either physically in the mail, or you can just send them an email version of it as well. And that's all there at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. We're talking about the war on drugs. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Guard. And uh, we've, we've pointed out that uh, marijuana is the number one cash crop in the, in the United States, that legalizing drugs is the obvious solution to all of the, the myriad of problems that the war on drugs creates. In fact, we barely even touched on the problems uh, that arise from the war on drugs. But, of course, violence is one of the key issues because when drugs are illegal, the prices skyrocket because, well, if you're going to deal drugs, you're taking a serious risk. I mean, you're risking your butt. You're risking whatever semi-freedom you enjoy because they're going to take you and throw you in a jail cell if they catch you dealing drugs. So as a result of uh, that risk, the price goes up equivalently. Since it's an incredible risk, I mean, people spending decades in prison for selling a few joints, they're going to raise their prices quite a bit and therefore make a lot of money. And, you know, if you think about the absurdity of that, uh, and you can't quite get it, just think about the absurdity of applying that sort of philosophy, that sort of attitude towards the selling of trans fats. Mm. And maybe we can get a few people who don't think it's absurd to try to ban the sale of marijuana to recognize... Oh, yeah. Ingesting something that's only dangerous to yourself, if that. Maybe we shouldn't get the government involved with it. There's plenty of information out there about the unhealthfulness of trans fats. Yeah. Many of the, health, the fast food restaurants have stopped using them in their French fries and their food preparation. I don't think we need the government dealing in that at all. It's none of their business. Let the market take care of it. And if it consumers has. are demanding it, that's what they'll get. And that's now, what's happened. Yeah. And, and you, you look at marijuana... Uh, for so long, marijuana was was painted with this broad brush as being the most evil weed, the devil's weed. And then it turns out, you know, people who are really sick with nausea when they're getting treated for cancer, it helps them out. You know, my mother's first husband, uh, he he was dying of cancer. Uh, he was uh, living out in California. He had been very, very famous in the hippie days. Mm -hmm. He was growing his own pot on his own land, on his ranch out in California. Seventy-something-year-old guy just wants to smoke his pot. Seized his home. Oh, going to no. take his whole house. The guy is dying of cancer. He's going to die. I mean, they're going to get enough of so it in the sad. first place when he dies with the stinking estate tax. Can't they just wait it's and sick. then get a lot of it? They took it's it amazing. first. I've met, uh, I've met a number of people who just on a, on a personal basis yeah. had told me, confided in me, that they smoke marijuana for medicinal purposes. And they have no reason to lie about it to me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the government. They don't have to lie to me. that If they were getting high, they would tell me that they were smoking it to get high. But we're talking about people with multiple sclerosis. We're talking about people with uh, glaucoma. You say cancer also. Sure. I mean, a variety. I mean, I've been surprised in some cases at uh, people with uh, chronic pain. I've been really shocked at some of the... Uh, the ways that marijuana helps people who are sick that I wasn't even aware of. You always hear about glaucoma and MS, but there's other ones out there. There's yeah. people with other conditions that are really helped out. And luckily, not all cops are on the side of prohibition. In fact, from the Advocates for Self-Government at theadvocates.org, uh, Howard Roberts, this from their excellent Liberator Online newsletter, Howard Roberts is Deputy Chief Constable of Nottinghamshire and one of Britain's most senior police officers. Recently, he cited studies indicating that up to 60% of all British crime is drug-related. That wow. is, either caused by addicts stealing to pay exorbitant black market prices for their drugs, or by drug sellers battling to dominate the illegal, drugs, uh, the illegal market in drugs. Now, 
these aren't problems caused by the drugs. They're problems caused by drug prohibition. The average British addict can, uh, commits an estimated 432 crimes per year. Wow, that's more than one per day. That's crazy. Robberies, burglaries, and assaults to get money to pay for his drugs. Roberts recently told an Association of Chief Police Officers conference that obtaining drugs on the black market costs an addict about 1500, excuse me, 15,000 pounds, which translates to over 30,000 uh, US dollars per year. <laughs> oh my gosh, $30,000 per year. What's the average person in the United States make? I mean it's it's below 30,000, isn't it? Or at least I don't know. It's, I don't know what the average. Uh, I mean, that would that would definitely put you in the poverty line. Yeah, it doesn't leave you a lot of room to pay the rent. It depends uh, how many people you got in your family, but yeah, that's that's unbelievable. In order to raise that amount, the addict must steal about ninety thousand dollars worth of property because obviously the fences, the people that you sell your stolen property to, aren't going to give you full value for it. So Robert says, "quote There's an undeniable link between addicted offenders." And appalling levels of criminality as heroin and crack cocaine addicts commit crime from burglary to robbery to sometimes even murder to get the money to buy drugs to satisfy their addiction. The resulting misery to society is huge. Further, the British drug war has utterly failed. This is the same way over here. Just This happens to be from Britain. It's utterly failed to stop the use and sale of drugs. Britain has the highest heroin use uh, rate in Europe. Writing in the London Sunday Times, columnist Simon Jenkins wrote... Quote, a young American friend last week visited Camden Lock, North London, and returned amazed. In a hundred yards, he was offered brazenly in the street just about every drug he could imagine. It was easier to buy cannabis or cocaine than it was a cigarette or a can of beer. The experience could have been repeated in any city center in Britain. The drug market is totally unregulated and, as a result, totally dangerous. No wonder, then, that British government is experimenting again with its 1960s policy of prescribing heroin to hardcore addicts. Supporters justify the experiment on pragmatic grounds. It is cheaper and safer to give these addicts their drugs rather than have them commit hundreds of crimes per year to purchase them. Further, with access to their drugs no longer a problem, many addicts can leave the criminal underworld and live normal and productive lives. Now, even though that sounds like it might be a little bit better than the prohibition situation, it's still not appropriate. It's yeah. still the government it's at this point. It's however, and that is, that is beneficial at least to get that information. True, but I mean... Practically, it's the government stealing everybody's money exactly. so they can all... I mean, you're still having your money taken exactly. from you. And now you've got true addicts of the state. Right, exactly. It's just the government that's taking the money instead of the addicts holding you up at gunpoint. Right. Recently in Britain, the international organization Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, we like those guys, leap.cc is their website, composed of president and former police chiefs, testified for the urgent need for drug reform. American Jack Cole, who's going to be speaking this February at the Liberty Forum, we'll tell you about that coming up, told his British audience that when U.S. alcohol prohibition was ended in 1933, quote, we put Al Capone out of business overnight, and we can do the same to drug lords and terrorists who make over $500 billion a year selling illegal drugs around the world. And when you hear that from a law enforcement officer like Jack Cole, if, even if you're the most ardent drug warrior, if you're the most ardent, staunch, conservative drug warrior person, Hearing something like that from a police officer must be uh, quite a shocker to the system, don't you think? It's just amazing. Those guys are great. In his yeah. uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday, Monday, uh, Sunday London Times article, Mr. Jenkins also made another point too often overlooked by drug reformers, individual liberty and responsibility. Quote, most drug users can handle the harm undoubtedly does uh, the drug use does them personally. 
To this extent, there's no justification for the state interfering in a private activity. As with the control of alcohol, the regulation of outlets should only be required to protect minors, prevent adulteration, and collect taxes. Other European countries are moving in this direction, at least with ecstasy, cannabis, and heroin. So, yes, a legal, uh, legal market wherein t- there is taxation going on is far preferable to the black market that we currently have, the black market that puts everyone in danger. Even if they, w- whether or not you use drugs, whether or not you're even close to the drug culture, you're in danger from it because of these addicts going around breaking into people's homes, breaking into people's cars, and stealing things, and possibly hurting people in order to get their fix. So true, so true, and it's too bad people can't wake up and recognize that. Well, we're gonna have to just keep talking about it. Well, thankfully, some people apparently are talking about it. I mean, the Sunday London Times is talking about it. That's, That's a fairly terrific. big publication over yeah. there. Yeah. Free Talk Live's talking about it. John Stossel, um, he's Cole. talking about it. Jack Cole, and I think that as we continue to get this issue into the mainstream, as we continue to have a dialogue about it, of course, you can never get a drug warrior on to debate you on it. They won't do it. It won't show up. But as we continue talking about it, more people will come on board, and eventually, hopefully in our lifetimes, we'll see some sensible drug policy in this uh, in this world of ours. More on the way. Hour 2 is coming up. Real ID. Could it be repealed? We'll find out on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 2. Tuesday edition, you take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Guard. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for all your voice over IP needs, packet8.net, 1-800-259-9231. You bring up anything, this is your show, it is Free Talk Live. And all of our features, by the way, on our website at freetalklive.com are totally free. Those are the radio talk show hosts. They want to charge you five, six, seven bucks a month for their website. We give it all away. And in fact, I uh, have made the allegation before, and I've yet to be rebutted on this. I think that freetalklive.com has uh, more content than any uh, it, for free, more content for free than any of those big name talk show hosts have for pay on their website. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm pretty positive of that. But uh, I, you could be rebutted. I could be rebutted. 800-259-9231. All right. Last year in May, in 2000, it was 2005 in May, so almost two years ago at this point, the Congress of the United States passed the Real ID legislation. And it was intended to, I guess, activate by the year 2008. I think that we're uh, getting, obviously, closer to 2008. And the last time we talked about how close they were to activating Real ID the bureaucracies were still kind of running around in circles trying to figure out what to do. So, once again, the uh, the slowness, the ineptitude of bureaucracy is working towards uh, our benefit in this case. And I don't predict that they're actually going to meet their timelines and release Real ID when they say they're going to. But nonetheless, it's still a scary concept. It's a national ID piece of legislation that's going to mandate that the federal government, and I think it's the guy who's in charge of the Department of Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff, he's going to be the man who can just essentially dictate what appears on your driver's license. So they're going to centralize the, the bureaucracy. They're going to mandate that all 50 states have all the same information on their driver's license. Now, your license will still say Florida or New Hampshire or Hawaii or whatever state it is you live in. Maybe. 
but it will well it'll still say the state name but it'll, all the other information will be federally mandated to be included on it now it's a pretty scary idea because it's it's again going down that road towards show us your papers right here in the United States and so we've sort of been keeping up to date on the status of real ID and what's been happening with it and there might be an update here Wayne what's going on yes there is today on um freemarketnewsnetwork.com Jim Babka from downsizedc.org po- posted an article uh, he asked the question, are we winning? Well, according to Jim, uh, the opposi- opposition to the Real ID Act, which would create a national identification system, has been great and unrelenting. Uh, it has come from hundreds of groups, in- including state governments. And but we, he, yeah, the, he, now, 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 yeah. Just to explain the government portion, yes. the reason why state governments are opposing this is not because they care about your privacy. Right. It's because the bureaucrats are saying, wait, this is an unfunded mandate. Yeah, that's the funny thing. They're not opposed to mandates, just the unfunded right. mandates. If they get the money to revamp their computers and a little more, they're all over. Exactly. And they'll be happy to ask you for your papers. So I don't want anyone to think that their state government's actually standing up for their freedoms. They're not. Right. And, and members of DC.org have actually pumped out over 40,000 messages to Congress calling for the repeal of the Real ID Act. And now two senators, a Democrat uh, named Daniel Akaka from Hawaii and Republican John Sununu from our very own New Hampshire, are threatening to sponsor legislation which would repeal the Real ID Act. But they first would like to see the Department of Homeland Security adopt some new regulations which would reduce the cost of Real ID and increase privacy protections for citizens. Now, I think we can see through all this. Basically, again, you're you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because the the problem is not the regulations because they can change those at any time down the road to get people happy and and feeling comfortable. And then later on... You're right about that. Uh, Chertoff has the ability... You say any time. You're absolutely right. Next year, he could just decide, okay... Now we're going to do biometric identification, and rules will change. There's no process to go through beyond him just issuing a diktat saying, okay, now we need your, uh, your thumbprint, now we need your retina scan, now we need a mouth, uh, mouth you swab. Know, you know, Ian that, and, and Wayne, the funny thing about it is it's the very Achilles heel of this real ID thing, which gives these guys the ability to be able to say that. Because inevitably, they'll find out that real ID, once they start putting RFID chips into it and things like that, mm-hmm. can be easily copied or faked or anything like that. Anything that the, the terrorists want to do, they can do. Sure. And that this is not going to stop them. And they're not even going to pay attention to that stuff. But what they'll say is, well, we need to do this in response to that. Because that wasn't working, so now we need to add this extra Up layer. Up the ante. Exactly. And they'll say, and, More that's invasiveness. Why, and that's why they'll say John Sununu and uh, Senator Ikaka's idea out of Hawaii isn't isn't practical because we may run into these immediacies and we're going to have to fix these things. So we have to give Michael Chertoff that power because if we recognize some sort of problem, he's going to have to address it quickly. You know, I remember not too long ago being able to buy a airline ticket out of the New York Times. I used to go to Hawaii a lot, so I used to buy a, a ticket. It would have Mary Smith on it. I'd buy it for $300, which mm-hmm. is a substantial discount over retail price. Mm. And I'd get on the plane as Mary Smith with her <laughs> ticket, and I'd fly to Hawaii for 300 bucks. <laughs> Try to do that now. <laughs> what, would the, uh, what would the airline attendant say to you? I mean, would they make any uh, wisecracks like, The oh, surgery went very Smith. well. Well, yeah. I said my friends call me Mario. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, you know, you know what's interesting? You you were going to bring up the point about about um, Akaka and Sununu and why they're why they're really doing it. What what really is behind this? It seems what their motivation is. I, I think Sununu's probably in a little bit of political trouble here in New Hampshire because he did vote for Real ID, even though he came out against it yeah. in, in his words, his actions were he voted for it. Mm. And I think that even if nothing ever happens from this, these guys look like the champions of privacy, even though. Right, because all they're doing is threatening to introduce Mm -hmm. legislation, which doesn't mean anything. Oh, we're going to introduce legislation. Well, that doesn't mean it'll pass or even come close to pass or even come out of committee, right? So so John and Daniel... you know, talking and threatening is not enough. Let's see. Show. Let's see. Yeah, show me the stuff, man. Show us the money. This is. I mean, this is the stuff that's been going on uh, over the past couple of years that we've seen. The politicians will respond in a, in, in a very similar fashion to what they're doing here publicly, and they'll bluster really loudly about how well we're defending freedoms. Okay, yes, we did vote for it, but it was a mistake, and we're going to do something about it. Like with the whole eminent domain thing. Right. You've got uh, the eminent domain uh, decision at the Supreme Court level made last year that essentially destroyed private property rights and then around the country because the polls that were done after that like 90 plus percent of americans they were on fire were in favor of liberty and against eminent domain so the american people were with us on the issue and so the politicians you know stuck sticking their fingers up in the wind as usual to figure out what's going on they said oh man people are really upset about this eminent domain thing we've got to do something symbolic and so what they did was, uh, in a lot of states, they passed legislation that, if you just read the news article about it, made it sound like, well, our politicians are really protecting our property rights here in the state. They've passed a, an anti-eminent domain abuse bill, and that must mean that my property is now safe from being taken by eminent domain. That was sort of the attitude of the news articles that came out, when in fact, when you actually dig into the details of the, the legislation, they really didn't do much at all to pro- to protect anybody's property, and it was all for show. Yeah. It was all for symbolism to say, we're doing something here about eminent domain. Re-elect us. Yeah, and that's and, all this is. Ian, t- Ian two things to, to keep in mind. One, about the eminent domain issue, and I'll backtrack to the, uh, to the other issue about Real ID in a second. But um, on the eminent, eminent domain issue, I, I think it's just exemplary of people, for people to study not just the idea of the way it was understood by the founders that you weren't supposed to be able to take private property without just compensation, but to realize that, A, uh, any regulation that would be imposed on you, as uh, Richard Epstein has argued, the the legal scholar has argued, uh, should be considered a taking. If they're regulating your business, if they're telling you how to Mm. do things ergonomically, anything like that, minimum wage laws, that's a taking. It is a taking. It's, it's, it's taking, You're taking a my of freedom. Your, it's absolutely right. And many people don't understand that private property pertains to the property on which you do your business, the liquidity of your business, anything like that. But also, uh, it shows you where the founding fathers made a mistake. They should not have given the government the power to take mm-hmm. property. The there was a few mistakes made. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I can see where the anti-federalists, they argued against that. A lot of them did. And they were right, you know, because... If you open up the abstract idea that the government can take your property for a particular public use, then it's very easy to slide into a public good. Mm -hmm. 
you know. And how about the general welfare clause? Man, yeah. that was just a huge loophole. Yeah, well, hopefully people will recognize that as sort of an introductory thing, saying we're going to do this for the these reasons, and here's how, and the rest of the Constitution are the rules, and the general welfare clause doesn't you know, apply. Gardner, you mentioned earlier in the segment that uh, people could easily hack things like Real ID. <laughs> And, in fact, I know, Wayne, you've got more on that on the way. Your calls as well about anything. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll-free number, 800-259-9231. Tis the Tuesday edition. Anna Dean here with you. And Wayne. And Guard. 1-800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy all of the features there. They are completely free. That, again, uh, freetalklive.com. And that, uh, that does include uh, the updates. You get signed up. We'll clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show at updates.freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project's First 1,000 Pledge. Are you just going to talk about freedom or are you going to start living it now? Learn how the First 1,000 Pledge can make it happen today at freestateproject.org. That is freestateproject.org. We were talking about in the last segment the... The Real ID Act, as it has been called, passed uh, last year in Washington to be foisted on all of the 50 states by the end of 2008. doesn't look like they're going to be making their time frame on this, but that doesn't mean that they've shelved the project. It's still on the way. They still want to have a national identification card, show us your papers, that sort of thing. Uh, but, Wayne, you actually, you, we, we touched on it last segment, Gardner, when you mentioned that, well, they're going to use the, the fact that the hackers are going to crack in here, the terrorists or whoever, they're going to crack in, they're going to crack the real ID, they're going to duplicate the real ID, and it's not going to be a, a big deal. I mean, if, if hackers can crack into encryption schemes on satellite broadcasts and oh, yeah. DVD encryption and all the other things that the hackers do, they're going to have a, it's not going to be any trouble to crack into real ID. And in hacker-related news, Wayne, the RFID passports have been cracked. And oh, in record yes. time, right? What yes. happened? Well, uh, there's a group in England, uh, because don't forget, we've been hearing from, from the federal government that, oh, these are going to be secure and oh, yeah. encrypted and all this stuff. And everyone's saying, no, that's not true. Well, there's confirmation there's some hackers who have actually gone and done it. Two technology consultants have discovered that e-passports can be cloned using Internet-bought software and put the owner more at risk from identity thieves, according to the BBC. Uh, so, in other words, Information Week actually called these things uh, one-stop shopping for identity thieves. <laughs> because once your, your data is centralized... Um, and anybody can get to it. Uh, somebody, a crooked DMV worker in California, can steal your identity. Yeah. Because your 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 personal identification information is is not compartmentalized anymore. It's centralized. Oh, but our bureaucrats would never be crooked, would they? Oh well, sure. What about your your uh, your medical records? They'll be linked to that eventually. Mm-hmm. Your financial records will be linked to that. Your property, everything about you, eventually will yeah. be linked to this chip. And then someone will steal it from you. You'll, you'll, you'll hear stories in the news about so-and-so getting their driver's license stolen and, and everything about them gone. And some hacker stole their whole life. And then they'll want to implant them in you. That's, that's the path, guys. That's it. Oh, so because if they're implanted, they can't steal them? It, it would be much harder. They'd have to cut your hand off. I see. And they'll, they'll be, people will be probably doing that, too. <laughs> And you know what I think is fascinating, too, is they keep telling us that things like collecting our medical uh, data and putting it on a federal electronic database, which Newt Gingrich is pushing for. That's one of his big things. And of course. He's working with Hillary on that and our, our liberal governor, uh, John Lynch in New Hampshire. Uh, but um, uh, they say that they constantly give us this excuse, well, it will provide great efficiencies of scale. 
I love that term. Anytime they're talking about getting the government involved nowadays in electronic data keeping or regulating the medical industry or anything like that, is well, you know, we can do it better than the private marketplace <laughs> because we have efficiencies of scale. When has the government ever shown efficiency? Uh, yeah, yes. period, in anything. That's well, in, insane. In, in economics, they, they talk about economies of scale, and they, they usually talk about that in terms of whether it's is, are there economies of scale, or is it what's known as constant returns to scale, which means if something gets bigger, it doesn't become any more efficient. Yes. And sometimes it actually becomes less efficient sure. as it gets bigger. I know that uh, for, I mean, for working at one of the biggest radio companies in the world, I can absolutely say that the you know the, these big companies that they have out there, the bigger they become, the more bureaucratic they appear to become. Right, and the more easily it'll be, the more easy it'll be to steal data from those types of systems. They're very That's easily true. broken down. And, you know, this this real ID thing, that what really ticks me off about the real ID thing, and, and they are eventually going to try to get the RFID chips put in there, and that's very clear. And uh, what what gets me is if people are wondering if this is going to be a hassle, oh, well, you know, what's the big deal if we all have one uniform thing? Well, what's wrong with that? Uh, let me just give you a practical argument. If you want to get a real ID ID, you've got to have your birth certificate. You've got to go get your birth certificate. Again? Yeah, you've got to have your birth certificate. Wait, they're gonna, even though I already have a driver's license, they're going to require that I go through the whole process again? Yes. yes. You wow. have to get it. I didn't know that. Yep. you got to go to your place of birth, get a copy, get it notarized, get the whole thing, and show it. Because, I mean, it really is a show-us-your-papers thing. And, you know, it's like we were discussing yesterday. You know, we can go one of two directions in this country. We can either continue messing around in other countries in their affairs, and maybe it's too late. Maybe we've got to, you know, do something incredible in Iraq. I don't know. We can we can continue messing around and shovel money off to the Palestinians and the Israelis and all these other places mm-hmm. and continue to worry about attacks against the United States because there's going to be a jihad against us, a holy war against us, the, the infidels. And crack down as, uh, as a police state as and a result. crack down as a police state. Or we can assess our foreign policy, think about what George Washington said, entangling alliances with none, and defend ourselves if we get attacked. You know, we complete force. We well, have we'd have a lot more men here to do that because right now we've been at war for how many years and the quality and uh, of the of the of forces I think are, are are starting to diminish as you were talking about the other night that they're starting to lower their standards. That's right. They're hiring and we've the got a, and we've got some of our best and brightest soldiers um, off thousands of miles away. What if we were attacked? They're not here to help us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, how long did it take them to get the army reserves to uh, Katrina? I mean, after uh, Katrina hit New Orleans. And the the Army Corps of Engineers uh, dams broke and everything, which, of course, that was the real problem with New Orleans, was the Army Corps of Engineers, not the rain. Uh, but nonetheless, it took them like a couple weeks to actually bring, uh, mm. at least, it was at least a week to actually get a, a, a unit of reserve members to arrive in New Orleans. And meanwhile, the people at the Salvation Army were considering bringing suit against the federal government because they actually had federal soldiers blocking them from getting into areas to mm-hmm. bring help. And, you know, I don't want to distract you guys, but this actually brings to mind the idea of getting government to protect us against naturally occurring phenomenon. We go from <laughs> here we are at Real ID, you mentioned Katrina, mm-hmm. to, the, to the absurd notion that we somehow form a government to protect us from rain and wind or, in, yeah. in many cases, a flu, the bird flu. Really? Yeah, and I, I just want to bring this up real quick. Yeah, please. Um, please. Just yesterday, the Senate passed a bill called Senate Bill S three six seven eight, and I'm not one of these guys who throws around these things very much. Right. But look it up. S three six seven eight is the National Preparedness and Response Leadership Organization and Planning Bill. 
Oh, boy. And That's a mouthful. It pertains yeah. to pandemics. And it, it vests the security, the Secretary of Health and Human Services with certain powers. They've been rattling this saber yeah. for a while. They've yeah. been sort of out there. Oh, pandemic. Fear. That yeah. word has been sort of bantied about uh, for the flu, past couple bird, of years. Flu, bird, flu, bird, flu. You know, on, on my show, we play the, the, the trash men doing surfing bird yes. every time because it's just so stupid. Well, yeah, it seems like it's been way blown out of proportion, at least from what I've read about it. This isn't a real issue. This isn't a real threat at all. And, of course, if it was the marketplace that was responding, it wouldn't be well, that's a it. big deal, Period. That's it. The, fe- the, the federal government, they, during the Clinton administration, they set rules regarding the preparation of vaccines. They only grant the license to a certain number of very favored corporations. Mm. And, of course, they tell us that, well, the market couldn't do this. Has anybody heard of insurance where you invest a certain amount of money so an insurance company has something to return to you if there's something bad that happens? Do the same thing with flu preparedness, and you'll see companies starting to invest in making Absolutely. There's a demand out there for that sort of thing. And it's absurd to think the statement that the market can't handle this is so ludicrous when you look at all of the miraculous things the market does do. And I want to come back, and I'd like you to bring some highlights out from the Senate bill because it sounds to me like it's one of those things where they're going to crack down with martial law and forced vaccinations. I don't know if I'm right about that. We'll find out here in a moment. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll free line, 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Gar. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got live streams. There's a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version as well. Both of them totally free at freetalklive.com. And do you have a child in your life, be they son, daughter, or sibling, give them financial literacy for Christmas. A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich by Jewel Thornton teaches a child the basics of finance, money management, and real estate investment. It's a great stocking stuffer and will be shipped to you by Christmas. Check out A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich at akidsjourney.com. That is akidsjourney.com. We've been talking about Real ID and uh, these uh, the new passport that they have with the chip in it, the RFID chip, which apparently was cracked in five minutes' time. So real secure there, guys. And it doesn't matter if they change the code. It doesn't matter if they update the system. It's only going to be a matter of minutes, if not hours, before the hackers can crack back into it. I mean, it's not... Uh, they can reverse engineer almost anything. And you can read those passports from 100 feet away. And then hackers always find a way. Yeah. Don't ever listen to anyone who says that something is totally secure. It might right. be for a, a period of time, but as the computing power gets greater... Hackers have tools. They do it every time. It never ceases to amaze me. Well, it's just like anybody. It's just like anyone picking a lock. I mean, you can spend a bunch of money on the most expensive locks out there, and anybody who's dedicated enough and who knows what they're doing is and has enough time will will pick your lock and will get into whatever it is that, that that they want to. If they're if they want it bad enough, they'll get in. And many hackers don't do it for the money. They just do it for the conquest, for fun. Yes, and yeah. they'll and they'll spend all their time. You know, a lot of them are young guys, and and they 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 live with mom. And they just, uh, it's like playing a video game to them. Yep. So, Gardner, uh, we were talking about a Senate bill that was passed about pandemic flu, (laughs) the bird flu. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's Um, happening here? I mean, what are they preparing for? Well, what they're they're doing on this is um, they are very worried about bird flu, obviously. And they have vested the Secretary of Health and Human Services on the federal level 
with certain powers, and I'll just go through a couple of these things. There is Title I, Title, Section Two, Title Two, and so on and so forth. But uh, essentially, what it does is, and this is there's some there's some humor in this actually. It identifies the Secretary of HHS. It says as the lead federal official responsible for public health emergency preparedness and response, consistent with the National Response Plan previously, uh, pre- previously written, of course. Uh, then, this is great, it renames the Assistant Secretary for Public Health Emergency Preparedness, formerly known as ASPHEP, as the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, now known only <laughs> as ASPR. Ooh, simplifying. Yeah, so what I wanted to do was go with a, uh, the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response in national something or other. So it would have been A-S-P-R-I-N. It could have been like aspirin yeah, almost. Yeah, have. Yeah, so, but the, one of the major things it does here, it says uh, in Section 2, it says Section 2 is called Improving State and Local Public Health Security. Now, I'm just looking at a mm. review that was on the Senate website. I haven't looked at the actual document. And sometimes these reviews gloss over some very, very big loopholes that okay. give the government massive power. But there's already enough bad stuff here. It says it reauthorizes public health preparedness cooperative agreements to continue the strengthening of state and local infrastructure, i.e. handouts of money, identifies minimum essential public health security capabilities for national and state investments in public health preparedness, i.e. you will have to be at a certain level and then you're going to get money. Now, if you're not at that level, I don't know what they'll do, Hmm. but then you'll get money. Establishes a state matching requirement to ensure shared financial burden between federal and state investments and ensures fiscal accountability. Wink, wink. Finally, it does this. It requires the Secretary of Health and Human Services to build on existing state and local public health situational awareness capabilities and establish a near real-time nationwide public health situational awareness network to enhance early detection of, rapid response to, and management of potentially catastrophic infectious disease outbreaks and public health emergencies. Now, so I ask you this. You mentioned how slow they were to respond with Katrina. Mm-hmm. Do we want the federal government to be the people on whom we rely to respond to an outbreak of some infectious disease on the local level? Ask anybody who was involved in Katrina what they think about that. There you that. go. I mean, ask them. Uh, ask the people who had uh, relatives sitting in uh, – there was this one guy that called the show. Yeah. I think he called the show. Anyway, he was telling us a story at least about how uh, a gentleman had uh, had a mom in a nursing home down in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And the floods came in, old people in the nursing home, for some reason they weren't evacuated or whatever, and they were trapped there. And she asked him, when are you coming? You know, when, when are you coming to help me? And I guess he was working with the government or something like that. And he said, well, we're coming, Mom. We're coming. And, uh, you know, two days later, she calls again. And, I mean, it, she kept calling, and then eventually she stopped calling because she died from starvation. Um, they never came. And, I mean, you've got, st- you've got stories about the guy that stole the school bus because, he, uh, because the, the government kept saying they were going to do something. They were going to go in there and rescue people. And the guy just got fed up, and he just went ahead and, and went to a school bus yard, stole a school bus, drove around, filled up, filled up the bus with some people, and got him out of there. Good I mean, he, he was a lawbreaker, but he saved people's lives. In the meantime, so, they're sending out C-130 transport airplanes with infrared to try to find three guys who <laughs> voluntarily climbed a mountain. And I remember seeing pictures of entire lots full of buses under half yeah. underwater. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, and all those all those mobile homes that they got, they got to get rid of them. 
hundreds and hundreds of mobile homes, maybe thousands of mobile homes in parking lots. They're just sitting there. Now they've got to get rid of them because the floors are rotting. How about FEMA turning away uh, Walmart when Walmart tried yeah. to come in there with yeah. truckloads full of ice and water right. uh, to hand out to people? No, no, we don't need your help. And well, the people it... did need their help. That's right. And uh, and it's just it was just we kept reporting on it. We it was like a prepolicious for Free Talk Live. There was so much to talk about, uh, so many uh, so much malfeasance, so much uh, ineptitude on yeah. the part of the government, and uh, people died as a result it's of really the federal sad. government's response. So no. Heck no, we don't want the government responding to any sort of emergency situation. Let the people who care respond, because government bureaucrats, despite all their positioning, despite all their hot air, they don't care what happens. All they care about is following their protocols. And Ian, you know, all this is now under the penumbra of Michael Chertoff and Homeland Security. And it's fascinating because, as Wayne brought up, this new information coming out about RFID and Real ID. Uh, those things tie together because they're all under security measures. They're what, all taken in that way. Speaking of RFID and health outbreaks and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. what happens when there's a, there's a hurricane again in wherever, Mississippi, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mississippi gets a hurricane hit. The federal government comes in again and does what they do, which is shut down the area and not allow anybody who wants to help to actually come in and help. Yeah. And then what happens when they come around and say, okay, citizens, uh, you have to show us your real id in order to get access to this water and ice well, what's that well, you don't, well, I don't have, have it? it you don't have it well you're a suspected illegal immigrant you can just go right over there into that truck you know and, and we're going to check you out when we're ready to check you out i mean this is i mean this is easily something that could happen right. and then you've got this guy this health and human services guy who's going to be the man in charge of uh, rapid response so called mm. well rapid response in the government's mind is to go in lock down an area with troops and then prevent anyone from com- uh, coming in or going out there are more and more examples of this happening all the time and you know the funny thing about it ian is um you look at these things happening, and a lot of it isn't done through maliciousness. Some of it could come from power-hungry guys who mm-hmm. like their positions. But a lot of it just comes from befuddlement and, and, and bureaucracy. And I'm always reminded of that movie that Terry Gilliam did called Brazil. And uh, David Price was the star of it. And it was a, it was a dark comic version of 1984. Mm-hmm. And it's just ingenious, and it shows a world... Where basically, because of bureaucracy, a fly that falls on this guy's typewriter uh, in a, some bureaucratic office ends up messing up this man's entire life hmm. because something gets screwed up on this on this sheet of paper that's sent out, and it's just incredible. And it shows the government runs the air conditioning ducts and the housing. Mm-hmm. So the hero of the thing is Robert De Niro who plays an unlicensed air conditioning repairman who swoops <laughs> in in the night in a SWAT outfit. It's amazing. Wow, I've heard so many good things about that movie. Oh, yeah. I actually haven't seen it's it great. yet. Yeah. 800-259-9231. But it's a scary idea when you've got not only the government responding to a natural disaster, but also some sort of an outbreak or perceived scary flu virus or something like that. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be in a government quarantine zone. Please. I want to leave and come as I'm whenever I want to. More is on the way. You take control of the airwaves. This is your show, Hawaii's Banning Smoking. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free. 800-259-9231. The packet. 8. Toll free line. 
1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Guard. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site totally free. If you like the show, well, then maybe you'd want to support us by voting for Free Talk Live. Head over to vote.freetalklive.com. It'll take you less than a minute. All you need is your email address. It won't be sold. It won't be uh, spammed. Just go to vote.freetalklive.com, and it makes a big difference for us because... Because of those of you who have voted this month, we're ranked as the number four podcast in the world. That's good, but we can do better if you vote at vote.freetalklive.com. We need you to vote, and then it'd be good if you could find a few other people to vote. Eh, wouldn't vote, hurt. Vote, 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 vote. Yeah. See, we're, we're making record levels on our vote total this month. I think we've set another record as far as the number of votes we've received. But unfortunately, the other shows are setting records, too. So, I mean, there's a, it's hot competition. Big competition. We yeah. need you. Vote.freetalklive.com. We're going to get into Hawaii in a moment. But we've been talking about Katrina, and I was reminded that I had an email sitting in the inbox about Katrina and the government response to it. It's from uh, Jeffrey. He says, I continually become angered when I still hear people in New Orleans shoot about people in New Orleans quote, shooting at rescuers, unquote, and the arson. I listened to an interviewer with the Red Cross rescuer saying of this, and that's very common worldwide to use guns to call for help. In uh, in Indonesia, after the tsunami, real rescuers went toward the gunshots because they had sense enough to know that people were using guns as a signal to say, I see your lights over there, help me. Rescuers look for fires and listen for gunshots. Only in America do rescuers run away from gunshots. I listened to interviews of residents who said that indeed they did set signal fires and fire gunshots. Prisoners, some of whom nearly drowned in their cells, also set signal uh, signal fires. Still, people look back at what happened in New Orleans as the chaos you speak of. The only chaos was on the part of the government. And I agree with that. I've never said, I think it was probably Mark that suggested New Orleans was chaos, and I I uh, quickly, uh, actually, it's true, New Orleans was uh, in chaos. It was not anarchy. And that's an important point uh, to make because there was a lot of uh, press, as usual, whenever there's violence in the police, the the press loves to label it as anarchy. Well, that's not true. If it was anarchy, then the government wouldn't have been there. Um, Because the government was there is proof that it wasn't anarchy because anarchy means without rule. And therefore, since there was a whole bunch of government in New Orleans, it was anything but anarchy. But it was chaos because what you essentially had was uh, the middle class... Uh, lower class and upper class New Orleans residents all got out of there, and what left be- uh, what that left behind were two um, two clashing groups. You had the government, and then the criminals, which of course two groups of criminals really just fighting uh, one one another. But Jeffrey here saying that maybe the cops that were claiming they were being shot at weren't actually being shot at because we had some police officers call in during that time saying, well, well, we had to go around and confiscate people's weapons because they were shooting at police officers. Well, maybe they weren't. Maybe they were just shooting in the air looking for help. But any, did any of these police officers actually get shot by somebody? I'm not sure about that. I don't recall hearing any stories about that. Me I don't either. No, no. And you think if you would think if that had happened... Then there would be there would be stories like goons and thugs in New Orleans shooting police officers, but yeah. no, it was just so supposedly that they were being shot at. And you know what's amazing, Ian? Uh, your distinction between chaos and anarchy is so apt because uh, I often do the same thing. What you had there was chaos because of nature and government. Mm-hmm. And if you had had anarchy, and you had had the market in there. You probably wouldn't have had the problem in the first place if they were handling the, the levies. The reason and, why the right well right, right if the government wasn't handling handling the levies they probably wouldn't have broke everything would have been okay. Right, right. But um, beyond that, 
the real problem and why chaos erupted was because all of the regular folk left. Those are the people that keep everything in line. It's not the government. It's not the police that keep people um, from acting out. It's the fact that there are other regular people nearby who will respond and possibly be carrying weapons and stop the troublemakers. Absolutely. In the meantime, you have Mayor Nagin scapegoating people who shouldn't have even been there in the first place, the federal government, constitutionally speaking, and this guy gets reelected. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, if that had been a market situation, that guy, if he was in a corporation or something like that, let's say it wasn't a government corporation type thing, but he would have answered to shareholders and all the people who invested. If there were actually people who said, yeah, you know, we know there are levies. We have to make sure that this town is, is kept secure. So we are hiring a government type agency, but it's a free market agency. We're going to have competitors and, and we're hiring it for our town or something. We're incorporating this town in a, in a free market way. Mm-hmm. The guy wouldn't have been, he'd be out of a job. That's he would true. have failed. Some sort of an insurance company exactly. or flood insurance or whatever. Precisely. Inspections if of something the happens, levies. you will act. You have these things stored up. Oh, well, this company says it can do this. Well, okay, let's invest in this company then. This company says it can do this. Let's invest in this company. Now, Jeff, Jeffrey. Oh, oh, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, it seems also that the response that the government uh, made to this problem was more of a militarized solution rather than um, helping and serving. Yeah, yeah, that was militarized, as in uh, take all these people, lock them in a superdome, and deprive them of water, and uh, post guards on the outside so they can't get out. We were talking about stories where people were in the superdome, they wanted to leave, they realized it was a mistake to go there. You know, can you imagine this? Americans and all of their brainwashing believed that the government was going to help them, yeah. so they went to the superdome expecting they were going to get helped out, and as a result, they went into this hellacious situation where the government was so-called in control. And they didn't get any uh, food or water for a while. Now, actually, Jeffrey addresses the Superdome. He says also there were no rapes and no murders in the Superdome, according to the coroner. Now, we had heard stories that the Mm. Superdome was all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Mm. He says, and there was never a dead, raped girl in any bathroom. There was a death from natural causes. Why loot? Well, most of the looting was for water and food, since FEMA prohibited delivery of water and ice. Diverting trucks of it out of the state. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, they turned around Walmart trucks. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. I listened to one man beg for ice while guards let it melt. I listened to that same man say that the cowards were so afraid of black people that they tried to drop water from a helicopter and all of it shattered. I ask you this simple question. Have you actually seen any of the, the atrocities that were supposed to have happened in New Orleans? Well, of course, I haven't seen them, but we have certainly heard stories. And one of the other atrocities, uh, government-created atrocities, was when a, a large group of mostly black people were trying to get out of the area. They had all sort of banded together. They'd found one another, and they were moving towards, uh, the, I guess, some bridge that... Uh, there was some sort of a, a rich, sort of white, upper crust sort of area. This is not not in New Orleans, but on the outskirts, I suppose. Mm, yeah. And they were moving towards this bridge. The county mounties had parked their cars across the bridge and had barking dogs and a uh, some sort of a PA system yelling at these people to not come across the bridge. It's like some kind of horror movie. It's like uh, it's like Tom Cruise trying to escape in War of the Worlds, you know? Yeah. It's bizarre. You know, um, uh, on our show we had a, a young woman who had volunteered. She was working with uh, FEMA. And she said when she got down there, they didn't have anything to do. So people were actually leaving the area and going elsewhere 
to actually interview for jobs in their spare time. And on Halloween last year, she and a number of other folks went to this one county because they had nothing to do. It was a county that they had were, were not supposed to be working in. They went there, and they brought kids candy for Halloween, and they all got put on suspension. Because... For- because they were outside their zone, where they weren't doing anything I in see. the first place. So they should have been sitting around and milling about in yeah, their zone. Doing nothing, right. rather than going and giving kids some candy for Halloween on their own time. Right. All of the atrocities, I think Jeffrey, for some reason, thinks that we're on the side of the, the government on this, and, and we're not. All of the atrocities I heard about were committed as a result of government. Bureaucratic either, mistakes. Yeah, bureaucratic mistakes or inaction or government action and just suppressing people's freedoms. Those are the atrocities that happened during uh, Katrina, and as a result, people got hurt. You talk about bureaucratic inaction and uh, just bureaucratic rules. There was one story about a, a doctor who showed up on a scene where there was a lot of people that needed some medical assistance. And they were essentially, I, I don't remember the details on the story, but he was shocked at how bureaucratic FEMA was in that they would not allow him to uh, to assist people without having some sort of paperwork filled out first or something like that. I mean, it was just absolutely insane, the rules the, the hoops that they had to jump through in order to just uh, suture a wound and that sort of thing. It was That's just amazing. nuts. Please do not trust the government to save you. These people are dangerous to your health. The government is far more dangerous to your health than floodwaters are, than uh, some sort of bird flu pandemic is. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine a bird flu dr- uh, pandemic, I guess, erupting? Not that I really believe this is going to happen. And, from what I've seen, there's no evidence that it that it can or will. But then the government puts up roadblocks and keeps you in the area that you live. You can't get out. You can't go to the store. Well, you can't incredible. buy food. How long is it going to be before you starve to and, death? And you know, bringing it back to, to what Wayne brought up before, when you get your real ID, that's how they're going to be able to keep you in your proper zone. Yep. You know? 800-259-9231. Coming up, speaking of keeping people in their proper zones, in Hawaii, if you're a cigarette smoker, there are only a few more zones left for you. We'll get to that on the way. Your calls as well about anything that's on your mind. 800-259-9231. Plus, we'll talk about the war in Iraq. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 3, Tuesday edition. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. That is the packet 8 toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Guard. And we invite you to our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site completely free, so do enjoy those. They're on the house freetalklive.com Honolulu from the Associated Press Hawaii known for its fresh ocean air and pristine beauty has implemented one of the nation's strictest no smoking laws now Wayne this probably hit home you actually uh, spent a few years of your life down there didn't you some of the best years of my life <laughs> you ever try that Maui right. Wowie down there uh, no comment <laughs> state officials say the new law will protect people from secondhand smoke ah. But some fear that it may deter cigarette-puffing tourists from coming to the islands, especially high-spending visitors from Japan. The smoke-free Hawaii law went into effect November 16th, banning smoking in all public places, such as restaurants, bowling alleys, and malls, as well as airports. Now, 
that's something we've seen around the country for the past few years. Uh, four years ago, when we started doing Free Talk Live, the very first show we did, we were talking about the Florida smoking ban that went into effect, which is one of the first ones. Uh, I think it was Florida and New York and California, some of the, the first states to, uh, to implement these bans. And they were of the nature of banning smoking in public establishments. In any business, in fact, was what it was in Florida. It sounds like it's the same way in Hawaii. Wherever the public is, so excluding private residences... If it's a public area, a public business, you can't smoke in there. Now, this is, again, what they've been doing all around the country. But Hawaii's taken it a step further. Many of the islands already had county laws limiting smoking, but lighting up is now part, uh, but lighting up now in partially enclosed areas, bars and less than 20 feet from doorways and windows is illegal. Wow. Can you imagine you're sitting there having a cigarette? And some big, and I mean big guy, some Samoan guy or some Hawaiian comes up to you and says, hey, you got to put out the cigarette, brah. Is that <laughs> how they talk over there? Yeah. Cam Fong <laughs> as Chin Ho comes on over. How's it? Can you imagine? That is, that is just unbelievable. The total invasion of private property ostensibly to protect people mm-hmm. from making choices about going to a place to eat or to be entertained or to work. As if they're being exploited. Right, and it was it was bad enough to slap property owners in the face and say, well, you can't decide now whether or not your customers are allowed or are not allowed to, to have smoking, which is the way it should be, of course. Slap property owners in the face bad enough and, to, it, it, and essentially to relegate smokers even further towards this sort of segregated class of society. They're sort of the new uh, persecuted class in America. Uh, it was bad enough that we were kicking them out of our businesses and saying, well, if you want to smoke your cigarette, you have to go outside. Well, now not only do they have to go outside, they have to walk 20 feet away from the doorways. Are we going to start drawing little chalk lines on the sidewalk so everybody's going to know how far they need to be away? I mean, how are you supposed to measure 20 feet? I mean, are you just supposed to know, put your one foot in front of the other, or just walk a good 50 steps away, that way you know for sure. But check around, make sure you're not near a window. See, it doesn't specify if the window is open or closed. Maybe there's a, a danger of the smoke seeping with... through the closed mm. window. Mm. You got trees to steps more back, brah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see McGarrett going out there. And, and, Welcome, these, and some of these guys there, I mean, they're big. They have, they have arms like your legs. It's mm-hmm. scary. Yeah. yeah. State yeah. officials say comprehensive no-smoking laws in 13 other states and hundreds of cities have helped Americans get used to similar policies. So get used to it. Your freedoms are going out the window, yeah. uh, and uh, just get used to it, Americans. It sounds like incrementalism. But Turning s- up the heat on the frogs. Some maybe. worry yeah. international visitors, especially from Japan, the largest group of foreign tourists to Hawaii, won't immediately adjust or understand the new policies that could result in fines. Chris Kiaha, a bartender at the Sheridan, uh, where half a dozen people were smoking two days before the ban went into effect, said that he, uh, she feels lawmakers didn't think through the law's impact. Quote, what are we going to do if we lose tourism, says Kiaha, who occasionally smokes. Hotels, restaurants, and bars have put up required no-smoking signs, removed ashtrays, and are trying to educate guests about where they can let, uh, light up. The state is working with Japanese travel wholesalers and agents to inform visitors in airports are playing recorded greetings to inform travelers. I mean, can you imagine this? You get uh, to your destination and there's uh, th- there's a Japanese greeting airing over the uh, the overheads telling you that smoking is no longer allowed in Hawaii. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can see it now. Richard Chamberlain in the new version of Shogun. Konnichiwa, Toranagasawa. Smoke cigarette? No, no good. <laughs> insane. It is insane, and it, it really is insane, especially if uh, if it's true that they take a tourism hit and, uh, as a result. Much, and how much are these guys spending already to try to make sure that the tourists will still come, that they'll understand. I mean, what sounds a like a multi. It sounds like a multi-million dollar outreach campaign. Uh, now, oh, I man. don't think that there's a large. I mean, if, we, if we're looking at tourism, somebody might make the argument. Well, well, since Hawaii is going to be smoke-free, it'll just encourage more smoke-free tourists. I don't think that when you're a family, for instance, mom and dad sitting down planning the next vacation, I don't think that it ever comes into play, or at least. In very, very few circumstances, does it ever come into play where mom says, you know, uh, Jim, I don't think that I don't think that we want to go to Hawaii because they allow smoking in uh, in public places. We don't want to go. Has this ever affected Hawaii's tourism in the past? Is this a fact is the fact that you can smoke in a bar or smoke in a certain restaurant keeping people away from Hawaii? No. But the fact that they're banning smoking may definitely keep people away from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. These Japanese tourists, they go there, they find out they can't smoke, or maybe businessmen, they might decide to have their meeting somewhere else. And you know what I think is great about that, you guys, is they always give this excuse. They gave the excuse in Massachusetts when they did this about a year and a half ago. Uh, Well, you know, certain municipalities or certain counties have already done it, so why not do it everywhere? It's like, well, you know, first of all, I, I wish they hadn't chosen that in their municipality in the first place. But if they chose it and the others didn't, why don't you allow them to do it that way? People have at least a little bit of choice left. If they want to establish a smoking establishment in a pro-smoking county, they could go there. Sure. But they don't want that. People have already made their choices. They say, well, people are already making their choices, so we'll continue to make choices going in this direction. Well, why don't you just say, let the people make their choices themselves? Well, people can't make choices, Gardner. They're just little peons. Right. They don't know what they're doing. And that goes to the individual level. You know, it's just unbelievable to think. And, and this is the most, I think, one of the most egregious examples of people buying into the claptrap that the owners of the means of production force people to do things. They force people to buy things. It's a totally Marxist principle. Yeah. And it's not You're a principle. slave to the uh, exactly. the cigarette makers. Exactly. You have to work in a certain place. And I've said this before, you know, minimum wage laws, smoking laws, all these types of regulations are all predicated on the same fallacious concept, which is that the owners of the means of production exploit people, which is totally bogus. The owners of the means of production, just like the workers need jobs, the owners need employees. Mm-hmm. And they compete just like the workers compete to get jobs. And they all compete together to try to get the consumer. And it all, it all comes down to consumer preference. So nobody's exploited in a job. They can always go someplace else. And we've had arguments here in New Hampshire. I had these people on from the American Cancer Society. And by the way, folks, don't ever give another penny to the American Cancer Society. They're behind all these smoking bans. That's right. Don't give them any money. Don't give them anything. Any private organization that is out there lobbying to get something passed, stop giving them your money. That includes the Muscular Dystrophy Association. They used to only take private money. Yeah, why don't you fi- uh, why don't you spend your time finding a cure Absolutely. instead of trying to address uh, all Absolutely. of these legal issues? The pro- they use the problem, it to force people. Yeah, and the problem is in the American Cancer Society, for example, their charter. If there's ever a cure for cancer found, they cease to exist. You know that? <laughs> Can't raise money really, anymore. It's in the charter. Yes, it's, it's, in the in, charter. it's in the charter. Read it. 
I think that's, if they don't exist, then they can't continue asking for money anymore. And that's what that's a lot of these amazing. groups do. They just keep funding themselves and keep sending out letters to ask more, uh, ask for more contributions. Well, Hawaii is selling the law as though they have to sell the law. <laughs> as though it's going to yeah, matter as like to whether it's a not, market concept. Right. As though it's going to matter as People to whether or not volunteer. they do a good job yeah. as selling this. Well, you know, I, I think I'd like to buy that law. Well, I wouldn't. Oh, okay, you don't have to. They're You're selling gonna... it, though, yeah. as a clean environment policy, not as a smoking ban, says the state's tourism liaison. The new rules aren't needed to protect employees and customers from secondhand smoke, she said. So this isn't a smoking ban. It's a clean environment policy. Don't you want a clean environment to live in, Hawaiians? 800-259-9231. Your thoughts about, well, smoking bans or whatever it is that's on your mind. We'll take a trip over to uh, Iraq here in a moment as well. And this is your show. It is Free Talk Live. 1-800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Guard. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free, so do enjoy those. And that does include uh, the wiki, W-I-K-I, wiki.freetalklive.com is where you go. And you'll find over 900 pages created by listeners like you. It's like the listener-editable version of our website, wiki.freetalklive.com. And like everything else at freetalklive.com, it is completely free. And by the way, Free Talk Live is brought to you by the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Attaining economic and personal freedoms in America's freest state. Get registered now for this three-day event. February 23rd through the 25th will be held convention-style in historic Concord. With some of the program taking place in the State House, register now at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. That is freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. And I believe all three of us are going to be in attendance. It's going to be a blast. There's going to be a lot of, uh, I think, really cool people there to uh, to meet and hang out with and uh, listen to speak and all of that. Yeah. The only thing I'm afraid of is that my brain might explode. <laughs> From what? Be so much information. Much so of... much information. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be good stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, I'm looking forward to that. Um, also, of course, uh, taking place in the great state of New Hampshire where there is not a smoking ban. And there will be by this time next year. You think so? Absolutely. You think the uh, the Democrats that are coming in are going to really ramrod that one through? Yeah. The the way it worked in the state of New Hampshire last year is for the first time last year, the House of Representatives in the state, you know, consistently conservative Republican, and yet um, the Republican conservatism has, has worn away, and now it's just Republican in name only. Mm-hmm. Uh, they voted in favor of it, and the lobbyists like the American Cancer Society and all these other organizations were there. American Heart Association, all of them were there, Clean Air America, all these things. Uh, they were all there, Clean Air New Hampshire. They were all there with their little orange lobbyist tags. And the Free State Project people, the people with the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, they had their own tags, made themselves. The other people, they earned their living going to try to affect mm-hmm. policy and government. These people were there, taking time off, away from their jobs, to try to defend private property. They lost in the House. But in the state Senate last year, the 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 pro smokers won. The pro freedom people lost in the House last year. But in our state okay. Senate, which only has 16 members, um, by one vote the smoking ban was defeated. Wow, it was that close. Yeah. I had forgotten that. Yeah, and unfortunately now it's a totally different composition because the Democrats have taken over because the Republicans have not stood up for any principles regarding freedom. Well, it's a sad thing that that we're seeing around the country is that nobody's standing up for anything. 
Everybody has this worship for the law, and it's absolutely disgusting. They they put their property rights aside, and they say, well, you know, I was running this restaurant, and I wanted to allow smoking, or I had this bar, and I, I, I used to allow smoking, but now they've passed a law, and what can I do? I'll just have to go along with it. You know what I'd like to see happen, and I don't know if it will, I hope it does, they call New Hampshire the live free or die state. I don't know if it really still is or not. I mean, I think as more people come here as part of the Free State Project, we'll get back to that point. But we've, we've still got quite a few battles to fight in, in between um, then and now. And I feel like if this goes through, all the good law-abiding citizens will just go right ahead and, uh, and abide by this law and, and smoking will be shut out. But what I'd like to see is at least one bar owner say, mm, no. Yeah. I am going to continue allow smoking in my bar because it's my property. I own it, or I'm paying the rent, and the landlord doesn't mind if we have smoking or whatever. But it'd be pre- preferable if the guy actually owned the property, owned the bar, and he said, "Forget you." In fact, if you're a law enforcement officer or connected with the state, you're not allowed in my bar anymore. Yeah. And uh, that's what I'd like to see happen. Of course, I'm not a bar owner, so I can't do it myself. So I'm just basically crossing my fingers and hoping somebody has the courage to do it. Yeah, it'd be great to see. I- I'm thinking seriously about going to testify before the state house and/or the senate on this. As be great. a smoker or just somebody who's concerned? I, I'm a non-smoker. I don't like cigarette smoke, but I respect someone's right to open up a bar that caters to cigarette smokers. And, you know, one of the interesting things about this, which I brought up with many people on, on, uh, on my program, is, uh, and in fact, over if people, if, if people want to hear the conversation, go to libertyconspiracy.com and scroll down to the bottom of the page, go a number of pages in, and you'll see the conversation that we had. You can actually click on it and listen to the audio, the debate that I had with these pro-smoking Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just didn't get it. The final question, you go through the practical arguments of it, or the principled arguments of it, I should say, and then what you can do is, because they're always ignorant of the New Hampshire State Constitution and the federal Constitution, which if we actually abided by them, would not allow anybody to do this. In the state Constitution, in Section 2, Article 83, the form of government section of the state Constitution, it stipulates very clearly that the state can regulate only monopolies and companies that are collusively pricing. I don't call a restaurateur monopolistic <laughs> no, or collusively not. pricing. There's but a lot the, of competition in that, that nobody, nobody gets it. So if you ask these guys, um, please cite for me the portion of the Constitution that allows you to tell these people how to do their business, they can never do it. And these are people, these are state reps who swear an oath to uphold the stinking thing, and they can't do it. And I got, I'm a guy who goes home listening to the damn machine gun etiquette and radio Birdman, and I can't. I mean, there's something out of balance there. It's sick. And uh, just going back to the story about Hawaii banning smoking in almost every in almost every public place. In fact, I believe it is every public place. Also banning smoking within a 20 foot uh, radius of any door or window. So basically, you're gonna have to go in the back uh, back alley by the dumpster to smoke, essentially. They're going to ban smoking virtually everywhere, but this is how they always do it. In every state where it's been banned, businesses in Hawaii failing to comply with the law face fines of up to $100 for the first offense, $200 for the second offense, and $500 for each additional violation. And then individual violators of the smoking law may be fined up to $50 plus court costs. I wonder how many bureaucrats they'll have to hire to enforce that. Who knows? Uh, but but my question is, if you actually had a business owner who had the courage to just say no to enforcing this smoking ban on their property, well, inevitably, the government would come by and say, oh, 
looks like you're smoke, uh, allowing smoking. Here's your first $100 fine. Right. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, they'd get their $200 fine, and then they'd get their first $500 fine, and the fines would start stacking up. And, of course, uh, if the guy's going to refuse to follow the law, he should also refuse to pay the fines, because right. the point would be to show how cruel these laws are. Yeah. Because if everybody follows the law, then you never get to see the violence on the part of the state. They never show their true colors. And people, de- it doesn't become crystal clear for people. But when this guy, if a this theoretical man who would uh, essentially scoff at the law and refuse to uh, to follow it, yeah. would be gathering all these fines, eventually they're going to come and demand payment, or they're going to try to shut down his business. Right. And when that day comes, he's either going to resist and be taken out with a taser or maybe shot to death, mm-hmm. or he's going to go and uh, get arrested and and thrown in in jail, and his bar is going to be shut down. Right, and, and that's that's what I love is when these people are proposing these laws, they are the friendly velvet face mm-hmm. behind the cruel face of government, and that's what it is. As as the founder said, government is force. You know, so that's what it takes. The only way we can really show uh, people how forceful and how cruel government is is to disobey its laws publicly. Yeah, and and in the case of a smoking ban, I think a smoking ban calls for civil disobedience. You know, because if you get if you let them get away with it, it's just another. It's you know, it's just a matter of more steps before they continue cracking down on your business and your decisions on your private property. Well More, said. More's on the yeah. way. Oh, by the way, tourist Debbie Liston of Seattle in Hawaii, when she was interviewed, says, I love it. I'm so happy to be able to breathe again. She was suffocating, apparently, on her vacation until they uh, they passed this law. I mean, why would you go to a place where you couldn't breathe? Bimbo. Anyway, more's on the way. It's your show. <laughs> you take control of the airwaves. This is Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. We're going to Iraq. Coming up. <laughs> One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airways if you want to. Toll free, 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line, one 800 Two five nine ninety two thirty one. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Guard. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy the archives, an entire year's worth of the show, right there, front page of the site, for your downloaded convenience, for free, at freetalklive.com. And is there a little person that's important to you this Christmas? Give them financial literacy for Christmas. A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich by Jewel Thornton shows kids how to grow up financially free, save early and often, and how to develop passive income streams, the key to financial freedom. It is a great stocking stuffer and will be shipped to you by Christmas. Check out A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich at akidsjourney.com. That's akidsjourney.com. We're going to Iraq. We're going to first uh, check in with an old soldier, one who's not actually serving at the moment. And then, we're, if we have time, we're going to check in with some uh, opinions from existing soldiers on what they've seen and how their, uh, their feelings have changed over time about this conflict uh, that we call the war yeah, in that. Iraq. This one from Fred Reed at LewRockwell.com. It's all but official, says Fred. The war in Iraq is lost. Report after leaked report says so. Everybody in Washington knows it except that draft-dodging ferret in the White House. Politicians scurry to avoid the blame. One day soon, people will ask aloud, How did we let 3,000 GIs die for uh, for the weak ego of a pampered liar and his desperate need to prove that he's half the man his father was? The troops from now on will die for a war that they already know is over. They're dying for politicians. 
They are dying for nothing. By now they must know it. It has happened to us lo uh, too long ago. The talk among political types now is about finding an exit strategy. This means a way of pulling out without risking too many seats in Congress. Screw the troops. We must look to the elections. Do we really want an exit strategy? A friend of mine with two tours in heavy combat in another war has devised a splendid exit strategy. It consists of five words. Okay, on the plane. Now. Bring your toothbrush. Everything else stays. We're out of here. It's a workable exit strategy, one with teeth, and comprehensible to all, but we won't use it. We'll continue killing our men, calculatedly, cynically, for the benefit of politicians. The important thing, you see, is the place in history of Bush Puppy. Screw the troops. Face it, the soldiers are being used. They're being suckered. This isn't new. It has happened to my generation. Long after we knew that the war in Vietnam was lost, Lyndon Johnson kept it going to fertilize his vanity. And then Nixon spoke of the need to save face at 200 dead G.I.s a week. But of course, Johnson and Nixon weren't among the dead or among the G.I.s. I saw an interview on television long ago in which the reporter asked an infantryman dear, uh, near Danang, I think, what he thought of Nixon's plan to save face. His reply? His face, our ass. Just so, then and just so now. Screw the troops. What the hell? They breed fast in Kansas anyway. Soldiers are succinct and do not mince words. That makes them dangerous. We must keep them off camera to make the, uh, to every extent possible. A G.I. telling the truth, after all, could set recruiting back by years. The truth is that the government doesn't care about its soldiers and never has. If you think I'm being unduly harsh, then read the Washington Post. You'll find story after story saying the Democrats don't want to do anything drastic about the war. You know, when they were elected, it was like right after they got elected, they pretty much came out and said, eh, no, we're not going to really do anything different here. Uh, just going to keep, keep uh, staying the course. Stay the course. Yeah. They fear, uh, they fear seeming soft on national security. In other words, they care more about their electoral prospects in 2008 than they do about the lives of the GIs. It's no secret. For them, it's a matter of tuning the spin, covering tracks, or calculating the vector sum of the ardent patriot vote, which may be cooling, deciding which way the liberal wind blows, and staying poised to seem to have supported whoever wins. Screw the troops! Their fathers probably work in factories anyway. Soldiers do not realize until too late the contempt in which they're held by their betters. Here is the psychological foundation of the hobbyist wars of bus station presidents. If you are, say, a lance corporal in some miserable region of Iraq, I have a question for you. Would your commanding general let you date his daughter? I spent my high school years on a naval base, Dahlgren Naval Proving Ground, as it was then called. Dahlgren was heavy with officers, scientists, and engineers. Their daughters, who were my classmates, we're not allowed to associate with sailors. Oh, yes, we honor our fighting men. We hold them in endless respect. Yes, we do. For that matter, can, uh, can you detect a hint of sarcasm in this article? <laughs> For that matter, Lance Corporal, ask how many members of Congress have ever served, much less been in combat. Ask how many uh, children, how many have children in the armed services. Look around you. Do you see any guys from Harvard, Yale, MIT, Cornell? Exactly. The smart, the well-off, the powerful are not about to risk their irreplaceable sit parts in combat. Nor are they going to mix with mere high school graduates, with kids from small towns in Tennessee, the blue-collar riffraff who bowl and drink bud at places with names like Lenny's Rib Room. One simply doesn't. One has standards. You're being suckered, gang, just as we were. It's a science. 
The government hires slick PR firms and ad agencies in New York. These study what things the young stud wants to be. A soldier. A desire to prove himself, to get laid in foreign places, a craving for adventure, a desire to feel part of something big and powerful and respected, what have you. They know exactly what they're doing. They craft phrases like, be a man among men, or a few good men, or, since girls don't like those two, the few, the proud, join up and be Superman. Then comes the calculated psychological conditioning. There is, for example, the sense of power and unity that comes from running to cadence with a platoon of other guys. Thump, 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 all shouting to the heady rhythm of boots. If I die on the Russian front, bury me with a Russian. See you next Tuesday. Left, <laughs> right, left, right, etc. That was a uh, Paris Island. Uh, that was Paris Island, August of 66. And doubtless they say something else nowadays, but the principle's still the same. And so you come out in splendid physical shape and feeling no end manly, and they tell you how noble it is to fight for your country. This might be true if anyone were actually invading the country, but since Washington always invades somebody else, you're actually fighting for big oil, or Israel, or the defense industry, or the sexual ambiguities who staff National Review, or the vanity of that moral dwarf on Pennsylvania Avenue. You'll figure this out years later. Once you're in the war, you can't get out. We couldn't either. While your commander-in-chief eats steak in the White House and talks tough, just like a real president, you kill people and you, uh, you kill people you have no reason to kill, about whom you know next to nothing, which one day may weigh on your conscience. It does with a lot of guys, but that comes later. You're being suckered, and so are the social classes that supply the military. Note that the Pentagon cracks down hard on troops who say the wrong things online. Uh, we, we talked about this, actually. Uh, it was about a year and a half ago. There was a, a a guy in the military who was blogging from in Iraq. Yeah. And he was being honest about his experiences there. Mm. Honest about his feelings about being there. Yeah. And they actually, all of a sudden, a, there was a new blog post that showed up on his blog where he retracted everything that he had once said. Where he basically, it you, you, could, you could tell they almost had a gun to his head ordering him to write a retraction of everything that he had once said on his blog. And it was just the most stunning example of uh, just disgusting behavior on the part of the government and them trying to cover up information, cover up the feelings of the troops who we're going to check in here uh, with uh, in a moment because we've actually, we've actually got some troops who have come out of the closet, have somehow gotten around the military censors, and uh, we'll, we'll actually see how they feel about Iraq here in a moment. But anyway, uh, Mr. uh, Fred Reed says, Note that the Pentagon cracks down hard on troops who say the wrong thing online, that the White House won't allow coffins to be photographed, that the networks never give soldiers a chance to talk unedited about what's happening. Oh, no. It's crucial to keep morale up among the rubes. You are the rubes, and so once were we. Wow. 800-259-9231. I mean, when you come across an article like that, it's just so powerful. Somebody yeah. who uh, fought in the Vietnam War, somebody who was in the military, somebody who, who's been through all of this and looking back on it. And can you imagine how you would feel if you had uh, been suckered into this scam? I see sometimes the parents of, of troops who have died, and I feel terribly for them, and I support the troops completely. I just don't support the politicians who send them away to war to kill other people for no reason. Well, I support the troops that uh, follow their oath, which is to support and uphold and defend the Constitution 
from all threats, foreign and domestic. Yeah. And it seems to me that the threat isn't foreign at all these days. The threat's domestic. And when a troop follows an or bad order, I can't support them on that. Please, stand up for our freedoms, not for politicians' orders. More on the way from the troops coming up. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free line. Only moments remain, but just enough time for your call if you make it now. 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Gar. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site completely free. We give it away, though we do ask that if you like the show... You like the message of freedom and liberty getting out there, and you want to see it happen more often. You want to hear it on perhaps your local radio station. Well, then you should amp Free Talk Live. Head over and join the over 300 Free Talk Live listeners that have become Free Talk Live amplifiers for as little as 3 bucks a month. Now, if you've been to our website, you know that everything there is completely free at freetalklive.com. So this is above and beyond all that. It's a totally voluntary option. Well, you do get some perks. You go to amp.freetalklive.com. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And the idea is simple. You send the $3 a month into us, and we turn it around into promoting Free Talk Live, getting the show on more radio stations, getting more Internet listeners on board, and thereby spreading the message of freedom and liberty to as many new people as possible. If that's valuable to you, then head over to amp.freetalklive.com. Learn about the program. Learn about the perks you'll get, like access to the amplifier-only call-in lines, amplifier-only forum, and more. So amp.freetalklive.com. Now, we just finished up uh, talking about, or not, not talking about, but uh, reading an article from Fred Reed at LewRockwell.com. He's an old, uh, older gentleman, probably in his, it looks like he's in his late 60s, fought in the, uh, the Vietnam War, and has come to realize, after the fact, or, um, he probably got some of it while he was there, that you know, this isn't what it was all cracked up to be, this whole fighting overseas thing. Uh, maybe we're not really fighting for freedom after all. Is that a possibility? Yeah, it's a real possibility. In fact, when was the last time the United States military ever fought for our freedom? Maybe the War of 1812. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long, long time. That's a uh, great point. Yeah, so... Uh, so a lot of people figure it out, but they figure it out too late. You know, they figure it out after they've had their leg blown off, or they figure it out after they've watched their buddy get a bullet to the head. Uh, and unfortunately, some of them figure it out while they're in the military, while they're over in some hellhole like Iraq, and they can't leave. You know, they're stuck there. So with that in mind, Alternate.org has composed a few, or a, I, I guess put together a few letters that they've received from some servicemen, uh, and women that are in Iraq right now. And I'll start with one of them. We've got a couple of them here uh, from various different uh, men and women uh, in the U.S. Army, Air Force. And here's what they have to say. These are the words from our current uh, boys and girls in the military. Lisa, 20 years old, uh, from the U.S. Air Force, stationed in Hawaii. Quote, I joined up two weeks after I turned 17 because I wanted to save American lives. I wanted to be a hero like any American child. I supported the war, sort of that idealism, that uh, yeah. that idea that, well, the, the, the army's so great, we're out there promoting freedom, saving people's lives. She says, I supported the war when I joined because I thought it was justified. Only after my own research and the truth coming out did I learn how wrong I was, how, for a lack of better word, uh, lack of a better word, how brainwashed I was. Now I know the war is illegal, unjustified, and that our troops have no reason for being there. When I saw an article about the appeal in the Air Force Times... I went online right away and signed it and have encouraged others to do the same. Now, you might say, well, she's only in Hawaii. What does she know? 
Well, that said, let's go to uh, somebody who I believe is in Iraq, right, Wayne? Yes, Sergeant Gary, 21 years old, U.S. Army, deployed with 20th Infantry Regiment near Mosul, Iraq. I joined up in 2001, still a junior in high school. I felt very patriotic at the end of my U.S. history class. My idea of the Army was that you signed up, they gave you a rifle, and you ran off into battle like some 1950s war movie. (laughs) (laughs) The whole idea of boot camp never really entered my head. Mm. Yeah, it's not the dirty dozen. I supported the war in the beginning. I bought everything Bush said about how Saddam had WMDs, how he was working with Al-Qaeda, how he was a threat to America. Of course, this all turned out to be false. This is my second tour, and as of a few days ago, it's half over. Before I deployed with my unit for the second time, I had already had feelings of not wanting to go. When in late September, a buddy in my platoon a platoon died from a bullet to the head, I really took a long, hard look at this war, this administration, and the reasons why. After months of research on the Internet, uh, the Internet again, I came to the conclusion <laughs> that this war was based on lies and deception. I started to break free of all the propaganda that the Bush administration and the Army puts out on a daily basis. Right. You're in the, uh, there's, there's more of this, but you're in the Army you're closed off as much as they can possibly uh, close you off. Now, they do have access to the Internet, um, though I've heard that they're, they're filtering certain blogs, they're filtering certain websites. In the case of the military, you, you pretty much are watching the Pentagon Channel, you're listening to the military news. So I can only imagine how difficult it is to get your hands on, uh, on accurate information in that case. Boy, you're going to love this, Ian. So far in three years, we have succeeded in toppling a dictator and replacing him with puppets. Outlawing the old government and its standing army and replacing them with an unreliable and poorly trained crew of paycheck collectors. Sound familiar? Mm. The well is so poisoned by what we have done there, there is nothing that can be done to fix it. Just the despair. Wow. Just what the. A mess. Can you imagine that uh, that feeling? I mean, you've got half of your tour to go. Yeah, and you know, you guys, uh, Wayne, you might not know this, but I think, Ian, you, you know this, uh, my friend Sean Naylor, we went to college together. Sean and I have been longtime friends, and Sean is a senior correspondent for the Army Times. Mm-hmm. He's been, he was at Tora Bora, he's been uh, in Operation Anaconda, um, and he is a longstanding uh, seasoned veteran hanging around with the guys who are some of the best dudes who are willing to sacrifice their life for what they look at as a legacy of patriotic duty in the military. And I asked Sean when I was filling in for a Todd Feinberg on his show, and um, and I know Ian, you heard some of the conversation on this uh, on this other program. Um, I said, Sean, you know what are we going to do? We, you know, if they want to increase the troops, they don't have enough troops to bring in enough soldiers to try to secure things in Iraq. Now they need a heck of a lot more than forty thousand troops, mm. and if they don't put them there, what's going to happen? Well, obviously, the Iranians are going to hook up with the religious faction that, that is connected with them. And then the other two factions are going to be fighting to try to get some supply of oil and finances. And we're going to be in a really bad spot with the radical Muslims in Iran because of what we've done over the past 30, 40 years in the Middle East. We're making it worse. It's not too late to, th- to throw, them, throw down the weapons and go home. Uh, but... With that in mind, let's continue with the last letter here, I believe. This one, I think, is probably the best one of them all. Uh, it's from a, a female soldier. Yes, uh, Ian, thank you for letting me uh, check this one out. This is uh, one that comes from a woman who was with the 101st Airborne uh, in the U.S. Army. She's stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and she recently returned from Iraq. 26-year-old Rebecca. She says, I joined in 2004. I was trying to go into the human rights field, 
but I was very but it was very competitive. I was in need of health insurance, and the army seemed feasible. Now it looks like I will be stop lost until 2010. Now, in case you don't know, being stop lost means that you're supposed to get out at a certain date. But since they need more troops and they can't recruit the troops that they need, they essentially tell you hmm, you're not going anywhere. It's like an unofficial draft. Yeah, essentially. exactly. Okay, I had strong feelings about the war against it, but I'm the type of person that wants to fully understand both sides of the argument. My experience in Iraq confirmed my views, but it also gave me a more multifaceted view of things. I did see some of the good things being done. But it seemed like a band-aid on a gushing wound. Mostly, I saw the frivolity of the missions, the lack of direction, the absurdity of the mission. You go out in your Humvee, you drive around, and you wait to be blown up and get killed by an IED. Can you imagine? <laughs> this is the, this is their day. It's like it's what like, you get up for in the morning. Yeah, it's like we were, it's like we were talking about with Vietnam. One of my one of my good friends, Larry Poss, is in Vietnam, and he did multiple tours there. He says that's what they would do. They'd send guys out and to find out where the enemy was, you'd you'd send guys out and then you'd wait for them to shoot you. And about, by, by the way, guard. Yeah. There was a juncture in in the Vietnam War where they said the same thing: that we need a big offensive. We need more troops. Oh man. That's right. About forty percent of my unit were stop lost. Their first mission was to take down Saddam and his regime, and they seemed to understand that and agree with the mission to take down a ruthless dictator. Now they can't seem to understand why they are there, caught in the crosshairs of a civil war. I think it is safe to say that the majority of soldiers are wondering what this grand scheme is that we keep hearing about from those above us, but that is never translating down to the ground level. Some politicians are starting to see that not only a majority of Americans opposed to this war, now they see that very powerful statement of soldiers who have already been on the front line and who are still in uniform and are also opposed. None of them have been where we have been. None of them have seen what we have seen. It's time they do. Just, just absolutely stunning uh, admissions and uh, letters from soldiers who've actually been there. And I think that it's, I mean, being here in the United States, sitting here in our cushy studio doing this show, we've got it made in comparison to what these people are experiencing every single day. They're experiencing the deaths of their loved ones and their friends, and they're coming to the realization that it's for absolutely nothing. Their friends are dying in the dirt for the whims of political people, and it's sick. It's been Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Gar. Guys, thanks for filling in for Mark. Uh, he'll be returning tomorrow night, and I know we'll have you guys back uh, in the near future. And we will see you tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.